Hi, this is Josh, and welcome to the Baseball Week, a weekly look around Major League Baseball. We are this week recapping the League Championship Series in the American League and the National League in preparation for the World Series, which is getting underway in a couple days. So we'll talk about that World Series soon. But first, a brief recap of the week that was in baseball, and we'll take a look first at the American League Championship Series, high-profile series between the Boston Red Sox, who had the best record in baseball, and the Houston Astros, who had the second-best record in baseball. Two 100-win teams, 100-plus win teams, facing off in a much, much hype, much very exciting, very uh, elite series to have two teams with such great records, such regular seasons, facing off in a non-World Series series is really quite unusual. And Houston got off to a fast start in this season, in this series, winning the first game and kind of pulling away late in that first game. And Houston had been so good in the postseason. They swept their opening round series against Cleveland, and then they got that game one win in Boston. Things were looking really strong for the defending World Series champion Astros. But Boston, they didn't have the best record in baseball this year for nothing. They won game two, which was almost a must-win to win one of those two games at home. Uh, but that was important because they won that game. That was, the game was started by David Price, the Red Sox starter, who has had a really difficult career starting in the postseason. Uh, David Price did not have any postseason wins as a starting pitcher until this series, in fact. Uh, he's had a long, illustrious career, but the postseason has always been his Achilles heel until now. Uh, we're going to continue on Game 3. Boston wins again. Game 4, Boston wins again. They're up three games to one. With some dramatics, there was a, a controversial play uh, where Mookie Betts looked like he might be able to catch a ball that was going over the wall for a homer. looked like fans might have interfered, but it was so tough to tell if the interference took place uh, kind of on the playing field side of the wall or beyond the wall where fans have every right to reach for a ball. And if you're a fan, your natural reaction is kind of to reach for a ball. You're not considering the plane of the wall, and if that, if you're extending past that plane onto the playing field, and it was such a tough call. It was on the field rolled fan interference. There was nothing conclusive on replay to overturn, and so it stayed as fan interference taking away um, what would have been a home run for Houston. And there were a few plays like this in the series where bounces kind of went Boston's way, but at the end of the day, Boston won game two, they won game three, they won game four, and they were up three games to one in the series. And bounces can account for, for a lot, but you win so many straight games, there is something to that as well. The Boston Red Sox are a great team. And I don't want to take anything away from them and what an amazing series they had because they deserved these wins. And this led us to game five, where it was three games to one. Boston in the lead, but uh, Houston had Justin Verlander, exactly the person they want starting that game. Verlander, who's been so amazing for Houston since they got him at the waiver trade deadline last season, facing off against David Price, who we talked about has had postseason struggles uh, through much of his career. But on this night, David Price pitched his best postseason uh, appearance as a starter, certainly his best postseason performance, uh, at least since his days as a reliever for Tampa Bay back when they made the World Series in 2008. And Justin Verlander did not have his best start. And Boston ended up winning this game as well, winning the series four games to one. After losing game one, they won one in Boston and three straight in Houston. 
Boston was helped out by some great performances, such as Jackie Bradley Jr., known primarily as a defender, a great defensive center fielder, who had a grand slam in the series to help Boston along. Boston was helped, as we said, by pitching performances. David Price started that Game 5 because Chris Sale had to be hospitalized with an infection, a stomach infection. He's doing much better now, as expected to start Game 1 of the World Series, fortunately. But that led David Price to starting that Game 5. Craig Kimbrell had some issues in the bullpen for Boston, but he always managed to skate his way out of it uh, without blowing a save or anything like that. And it was really a team effort for Boston. They got the hits when they needed to. They have just such a strong team, uh, whether it was Andrew Benatendi making a walk-off catch to win a game in Game 4. If he doesn't catch that ball, Houston at least would tie the game in that Game 4. If he, if the, It was a ball where he slid in to catch it uh, in the outfield. If the ball went under his glove and rolled past him, Houston probably would have won that game. I don't know if there was a more exciting play in baseball than the walk-off great catch. Andrew Benatendi had a walk-off great catch in a crucial postseason game and helping Boston out a big, big, uh, big way right there with that catch to help them extend their lead in the series. And as I said, it was really a team effort for Boston as they defeated the Houston Astros and moved on to the World Series. In the National League, we had a great series between the Dodgers and Roars. As much attention and as much drama it was in that Houston-Boston series. The Milwaukee Dodgers series, I think, had more drama and more twists and turns and more back and forth. Milwaukee won game one of this series. It looked like Milwaukee might win game two, but the Dodgers came back late to win that game. And it was tied 1-1 after the first two games in Milwaukee. Then they headed to Los Angeles for three, and Milwaukee won game three. And things were looking quite good for Milwaukee at this point. But, again, there were a lot of twists and turns in this series. The Dodgers won Game 4. The Dodgers won Game 5. And Game 4, the game the Dodgers won, went extra innings deep into the night before the Dodgers pulled it out with some help from Cody Ballinger. And after leaving Los Angeles, suddenly the Dodgers were winning the series 3-2. So as good as it looked early for Milwaukee, they won two of the first three. Arguably could have won three of the first three. The Dodgers then had the upper hand as we headed back to Milwaukee for Game 6. And in Game 6, Milwaukee was down one nothing after a leadoff home run by David Fries for the Dodgers. But Milwaukee scored four runs in the bottom of the first on two out hits by Jesus Aguilar, by Mike Moustakas, and by Eric Kratz. And Milwaukee was up 4-1, and they never looked back in this Game 6. And suddenly it was tied 3-3. Milwaukee had Game 7 at home. They had a rested Josh Hader, their super reliever, their remember Andrew Miller a couple years back with Cleveland, who always seemed to come into the game, pitched whatever he needed to, did whatever he needed to to help the Indians. That was Josh Hader this year from Milwaukee. And they had a fresh Josh Hader. They had Julius Chassin to start the game, who had been so great in the postseason. And I think, to some people at least, it looked like now Milwaukee again had the upper hand in this series. But Game 7 came, and the Dodgers' offense came to life. The Dodgers' pitching did a great job, and the Dodgers ended up defeating Milwaukee in that Game 7. Uh, really with little drama by the end of it, Milwaukee had just one run in the game. The Dodgers had Clayton Kershaw actually end up closing out the game for them. Uh, Kershaw pitching on his throw day in relief as the Dodgers won this back-and-forth seesaw series. 
There are some great moments in this series, too. The comebacks by the Dodgers. Milwaukee has such a great bullpen. And for the Dodgers to do what they did, almost coming back in Game 1, uh, when they were down a few runs late, down 5 nothing, I believe, in Game 1, coming back in Game 2 to win, getting that big extra inning win, that crucial extra inning win in Game 4, when they, if they didn't win that game, they're down 3 games to 1. If they do win it, it's 2-2. I always feel like in those situations, Game 4 is the crucial game of the series. When it's 2-1, one team wins, they're up 3-1. They have breathing room, and they are in just great shape. The other team wins, it's 2-2, and it's anybody's ball game the rest of the series. Uh, so that was certainly a crucial, crucial moment in the series. And then Dodgers getting, after Clayton Kershaw struggled early in the series, getting a great start from him in Game 5 was crucial for them as well. And the Dodgers got timely hitting. Uh, really, both these series, there weren't a lot of hitters who had just incredible series all the way through, but it was those timely hits. Whether it was Jackie Bradley Jr. hitting a, a grand slam for Boston, or if it was Cody Ballinger getting that crucial hit, for, again, for the Dodgers in Game 4, getting a big home run for the Dodgers in Game 7, or whether it was an offensive player, Clayton Ker- I'm sorry, a defensive player, Clayton Kershaw, doing what he did uh, in relief after his great start or whether it was Wally, uh, Walker Bueller having a really nice start in Game 7 as a rookie, the first rookie to pitch a Game 7 since Dice came out to Zaka in 2007 for the Red Sox, and there's always a little bit of an asterisk there because Dice K, while he was a rookie, he had experience pitching in the professional leagues in Japan. And so before Dice K, you have to go back to John Lackey, who was a rookie for the Angels in the 2002 World Series Game 7. Lackey won that game for the Angels, and the Angels came out victorious in that World Series. And Walker Bueller uh, certainly pitched very well, especially for such a young rookie. You can look at uh, just so many performers for both teams in this series. It was just, it was a great series. There's no other way to say it. It was back and forth. Both teams played so well. Both teams had struggles at times. There was a lot of human drama in this series. The Dodgers came out on top, and they're going back to the World Series for the second straight year, hoping for a better result, this time after dropping Game 7 to Houston last season. We do want to look at our players, pitcher, and team of the round. And for player of the round, I should mention that the LCS MVPs were given to Jackie Bradley Jr. of the Red Sox and Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers. And to pick one player of the round, as this podcast likes to do, we're giving it to Jackie Bradley Jr., who not only is a great defender, and he is in there primarily for his defense, but he was an offensive star for the Red Sox in this series with that big grand slam uh, that helped put a game away for the Red Sox with 9 RBI in the series, with one of the best OPSs on base plus slugging percentage for any player in this postseason round. Jackie Bradley Jr. hit well, and he hit well in the clutch. And what else can you say? He was a big part of the Red Sox getting the win in this series. For pitcher of the round, and there is no starting pitcher who just completely excelled throughout the series. There is no relief pitcher. There were relief pitchers who were great, like Josh Hader, like Corey Knebel of Milwaukee. But the pitcher of the round that I'm going with is a pitcher who has had so many struggles in the postseason in his career. Struggled in the league division series this year as well. And there were questions, should he even get another start in the league championship series? Well, he got a start in game two and he pitched solidly as his team won the game, as the Boston Red Sox won game two. And then he came back in uh, game five, and he pitched brilliantly as the Boston Red Sox got the series clinching win. 
So the Red Sox going 2-0 and in David Price's start in this series, something that I think a lot of people did not see coming. But David Price was great ERA in the threes, very solid, and he was clutch. And this was, again, kind of the albatross that's followed David Price around through his career. He doesn't get it done in the postseason, but in this series he did, and he is our pitcher of the round. For team of the round, obviously there were two choices here, Boston and the Dodgers, and you could really go either way. And not going to be uh, not going to be too many arguments either way, I would imagine. But what Boston did, winning four straight games against the defending World Series champions, the team that a lot of people said was the favorite to win again this year, and going three and zero in Houston in the process. Boston's five and zero on the road this postseason with two wins against the Yankees, three wins against the Astros. Well, that is so so impressive. And to do what they did after losing Game 1 to win 4 straight against the Houston Astros, I think certainly deserves them the team of the round. For our stat of the week, we want to start looking at the World Series to come, which is Red Sox-Dodgers, two of the most iconic franchises in sports facing off in the World Series. And remarkably, it has been a very, very long time since these franchises have, have played in a championship game. You'd think with teams like this, like the Red Sox, like the Dodgers, who especially recently are always in contention for the championship, it seems, that they would have faced off at some point, but it's been since 1916, the last time the Dodgers franchise and the Red Sox franchise faced off in the World Series, and I'm phrasing it that way because at this time they were not, certainly were not the Los Angeles Dodgers, they were in Brooklyn uh, for much of the first half of the 19th, of the 20th century. But even still being in Brooklyn, they were not the Brooklyn Dodgers. They were mostly known as the Brooklyn Robins during this time. So this was the Boston Red Sox and the Brooklyn Robins facing off in the 1916 World Series. And uh, there was a lot of, well, there was many, many ways this series was different from the series today. You'd think one consistency would, though, be Fenway Park, the venerable old stadium of the Boston Red Sox. But even that wasn't the case, because in that 1916 World Series, um, the Boston games were played at Braves Field, then the home of the Boston Braves, who became the Milwaukee Braves, who became the Atlanta Braves. And Braves Field was bigger than Fenway Park, more fans. So that series was played at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn and Braves Field in Boston. So there are many, many ways that this series is different from that one, one of which is the stadium's that it's going to be in. But uh, stat of the week, it has been 102 years since these franchises have faced off in the World Series, and there's so much history between them, so many iconic moments between them, that it's really intriguing to have a World Series that is both so new and so old at the same time. So um, full of potential for what could be, and also so full of tradition for what has been. A couple other notes about that 1916 World Series. Babe Ruth, who was 21 at the time, made his postseason pitching debut for the Red Sox in that series in Game 2. He pitched 14 innings in Game 2, gave up one run, 0 for 5 at the plate. So not too shabby. Uh, this was Babe Ruth back when he was a full-time pitcher. His offensive prowess become much more well-known in a few years, but at this time he had a brilliant pitching performance for the Red Sox. The Red Sox did win that series in five games, by the way. In addition, that is the longest gap between World Series matchups, that 102 years from 1916 to 2018. For your trivia question of the week, what is the second longest gap between postseason, sorry, between World Series matchups? A little jumble there, between World Series matchups. 
Again, the record is 102 years between Boston versus the Dodgers matchups, or the Robins, but the Dodgers franchise at least. What is the second longest gap? And just for clarification purposes, the team can change cities, they can change names, but they have to be the same franchise, just like uh, the Brooklyn Robins and the LA Dodgers are the same franchise. So what's the second longest gap? Answer will be revealed at the end of the episode. And for something great about baseball this week, I want to look at some of the surprising moments from the series that just finished up. I want to start off with a big surprise. Brandon Woodruff, a relief pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. He started some, sometimes an opener for the Brewers. That's the relief pitcher that sometimes starts games for an inning or two for some teams. Well, he hit a home run in the league championship series off of Clayton Kershaw. Not something you expect a relief pitcher to do, but Brandon Woodruff did it. Later in this series, speaking of openers, Milwaukee started Wade Miley. Wade Miley is a starting pitcher. He got the start, looked like he imagined he would go five innings or however long he goes in the game. He was taken out after one bad or not because of ineffectiveness, but because of this chess match between uh, Milwaukee's manager, Craig Council, and the Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts, with Roberts uh, matching and trying to match up his lefties and his righties against the Milwaukee pitchers. Well, Craig Council puts in starter for one one pitcher, not one one batter, rather a couple pitches, one batter, and then takes him out and has a bullpen game, uh, trying to surprise Dave Roberts and throw off some of his his matchups and his uh, starting lineup for that day. So not something you often see. Something that is certainly reflective of the analytical bent that a lot of these games have been taking, where teams are using so many pitchers, using so many different lineup combinations. The days of a consistent one through eight lineup being pretty much the same every day are certainly seem to be waning. You see the Dodgers using so many different players for different matchups. It's almost like the Dodgers have about uh, 12 or 14 starters and that they just start at different times, but they all play a big part in the team. That is depending on who the starting pitchers and depending on other factors in that particular game. How about surprising moments like that? And we talked about Andrew Benatendi's great catch for Boston. Amazing to have a walk-off catch like that. It's such an exciting moment in baseball. And so moments like that are so would add the color, would add the depth, would add the, the shading to these kinds of series and these kinds of big games. Because while we may remember uh, the big home run, we may remember Jackie Bradley's grand slam, it's also fun to think about the fact that Jackie Bradley is a nine-hitter. Nine-hitters hitting grand slams in the postseason is almost unheard of. And when it's done, it's ironically done by a pitcher in previous cases, but Jackie Bradley Jr. became a non-pitcher nine-hitter. With the DH, we have non-pitcher nine-hitters in the American League to hit a grand slam. Not something you'd expect, again, but the unexpected is, really, we come to expect the unexpected, and that's what makes baseball so great, and what else makes it so great is that as much as we come to expect it, it's still unexpected, because you never know what direction, what place it's going to come from, and the unexpected, the surprising, the bizarre, the quirky, the unpredictable. We know it's going to happen in baseball. We don't know where, and that's such such a sweet combination to have. And so here we are, World Series, where you'll be hearing stories about the very old, about the 1916 World Series, and about Babe Ruth, and about uh, the Boston-LA sports rivalry, known most for basketball with the Lakers versus the Celtics. And you'll be hearing about the two iconic franchises that have played such a part in baseball throughout its history. And we'll be hearing about all of the new, about the analytics, and about how these teams are going to utilize their starting pitchers, utilize their bullpens, utilize 
changes in their lineups. It's going to be really a marriage of the very old and the very new in this series, and that's very intriguing. And it's going to be really fun to watch. We can make predictions. Our predictions will probably not be totally correct. Uh, for my prediction, I picked the Dodgers preseason, so I feel I need to stay with them. I think Boston has shown themselves to be the best team in baseball this year, but the best team doesn't always win a short series. And I feel, let's stick with the Dodgers, let's say Dodgers in seven, coming back from their seven-game loss to the Astros in the World Series last year. It's going to be a great series. It's going to be an exciting series, and who really knows what will happen. But before we wrap up, our trivia question of the week, the second longest gap between World Series after the record set by the Dodgers and Red Sox. And that second longest gap is the A's and Giants, who met up as the Philadelphia A's versus the New York Giants, and then in the 80s met up again as the San Francisco Giants and the Oakland Athletics. Again, it was a second longest gap in World Series history. They met in 1913. They met in 1989. So 76 years between appearances. If you're curious about the rest of the top few, Phillies versus Yankees met in 1950 and 2009. That's 59 years. Braves and Indians met in 1948 and 1995. That's 47 years. Cardinals and Tigers met in 68 and 06, 38 years. And the Braves and Yankees, also 38 years, 1958 and 1996. So there's been long gaps before, certainly, but nothing as long as this one. Just another storyline to a World Series that's full of them. And that's our show for this week. Please feel free to reach out to us at thebaseballweek at gmail.com. That's thebaseballweek at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Looking forward to the World Series. Everybody have a wonderful week. Take care.